to the Prophecy Club. Today we're going to continue listening to various speakers talk about the King James Bible and why it is the most accurate English version. And we're also going to continue offering the King James gift offer, which is six discs valued at $130, all available for a gift of $35 at prophecyclub.com. The six discs and the four titles are New Age Bible Versions by Gail Ripplinger, NIV, or King James by Les Garrett. King James, Our 400 Counterfeits, which is a triple DVD offer by Adam Johnson. And then today, we're going to start listening to Michael Hoggard in Which Bible is Right for Me? Keep in mind, each one of these DVDs typically has two and a half hours of information on it. As I've shared uh, with uh, Brother Stan and several other people this week, um, and even in the presentations that I've done so far, I'm a pastor, and I have the heart of a pastor, and my heart is for the church and churches. Anywhere they meet, in any location, any situation, that's where my heart is, and I want God's people to be God's people, and I want them to be equipped. I want them to know what the Bible says and what's going on in the world today. And um, several years ago, God called me into the ministry of Bible prophecy, studying prophecy from the old book. And uh, I admit at that time, I did not know that I would actually be standing in front of pulpits all across the country actually defending the Bible in churches. I did not know that that was going to happen, but I believe that God knew that. And um, I've just become convinced, and um, you will probably see as we move forward in the presentation tonight that um, I believe that God's Word has been inspired. I believe that it's been preserved. I believe it's been translated. And I believe that what I hold in my hand right here is none other than the inerrant Word of God. I'm going to try to, as best as I can, to lay out a scriptural framework for that, to show you line upon line, precept upon precept, why I believe what I believe. The Bible teaches us that This true source of doctrine, the true source of biblical understanding, the true source of our faith, how it is that we're supposed to act and react in different situations, how it is that we're to be saved, the Bible teaches us that the foundation and the source of that must be the Scriptures. Let me read to you uh, a statement of faith, and I do this when I do this particular presentation, no matter where I go. I try to read some sort of faith statement. Uh, I am a free will Baptist. And um, I have been, I pastor Bethel Free Will Baptist Church. It's my home church. I've been there almost 30 years now. And uh, it's a delight. And uh, I believe the free will Baptist doctrine, uh, especially the very first doctrine on our books, and it deals with the Holy Scripture. Free will Baptist doctrine states that we believe the Holy Scriptures are the Old and New Testament we believe that they are the, the inspired, inerrant Word of God. We believe that everything, not just the thoughts of the Scriptures, but the very words of the Scriptures are the infallible, inspired Word of God. If the Bible teaches on science, then what the Bible says about science is inerrant. If the Bible teaches about history, then what the Bible teaches about history is also inerrant, which means there are no mistakes in it whatsoever. Something that I picked up from reading this 
faith statement of free will Baptists in regards to that first issue, the, the Bible doctrine issue, is that when they describe the Bible that they say is inspired and inerrant, they use present tense language. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is inerrant. And so what that tells me right now is that we are supposed to believe that what we hold in our hand right now, not necessarily what they wrote some 2,000, 4,000 years ago, but what we hold in our hand right now by the use of the present tense language in the faith statement is the word of God. I have the statement of faith of the Prophecy Club and the Spirit of Prophecy Church. And here is what they say concerning the Bible. We believe in the Bible, the King James Version, in its entirety to be the inspired Word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and conduct. Is that what you believe here tonight? Say amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to show you some verses up on the screen tonight that this statement, the statement of the particular group I'm a part of, Free Will Baptists, there's a reason why those men wrote those words is that they got that thought and that understanding not from men, but they got it from the scriptures. And that's what I'm going to start to show you tonight. However, I want to sort of, um, I want to get into an, another portion of the word of God tonight. I want to deal with, I told you this earlier on this week, I'm a conspiracy guy. I believe in a conspiracy, don't you? I don't believe that, that uh, it, things just happen. I believe that they're controlled. And uh, if you were to ask me what conspiracy theory do I believe in, I believe in the conspiracy that says Lucifer wants to sit on God's throne. Where do I get that from? I get that from the Holy Scriptures. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to see from the very word of God itself what is going on in the world today and what is going on in the church. Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to pick the story up in verse 12. The Bible says in verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Now, who is Lucifer? Who is this person called Lucifer here? It's the devil, isn't it? Do you believe that? Say amen. You would be surprised at the number of theologians, Bible colleges, pastors, so-called Christian leaders that are no longer saying that Lucifer is the appropriate title of the devil. They're trying to get away from that. And later on in this presentation, I'm going to show you why they're getting away from that. But I believe it's Lucifer. And by the way, even the Satan worshipers know that this is the devil's name, Lucifer. Amen. They may not have anything else right, but they've got that one right. So how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, and God has the ability to look into the heart. Remember when Jesus was there, when he came to earth and ministered, the Bible over and over says that he perceived their hearts. He knew what was going on in their mind. And so God is able to read the thoughts of Lucifer. Thou hast said in thine heart, number one, I will ascend into heaven. Number two, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now, there's something I want you to notice here is the resolve that is in the devil's heart. He actually believes. He's not saying, I'm going to try 
to ascend into heaven. He's not saying that I'm going to uh, attempt to do these things. His resolve is based upon his pride in that he really thinks that he can accomplish these things. You know, it's a shame that when you tell so many lies so many times that you actually end, end up believing the very lies that you created And that's exactly what's going on here in the text is that the devil is believing the very lies that he created. And so he says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now, according to the scriptures, you can study this out. Stars are indicative of angelic creatures. When, the, when you see the stars falling from heaven, the Bible talks about the heavenly host. Uh, the Bible talks about the stars of God, the morning stars sang out unto, unto the Lord in the book of Job. So stars indicate angels. So what is he saying by this? He's saying, I must dominate the heavenly realm. He, he, he's knowing that he must assume God's position. God's position is stated for us in the scriptures as he calls himself the Lord of hosts. What that means is, is that God is the captain of the army. Somebody say amen. God is the captain and the general of the army. And the devil knows that in order to win the war, he must take control of the army. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. So in Revelation 12, that's exactly what we see going on. There is a war in heaven and the devil and his angels are fighting Michael and his angels. And I like, boy, I just like how that all ends up because it says that the devil, the dragon, drew a third of the stars down from heaven with him, which basically means that the devil had one third of the whole angelic realm. Now, I don't know how many angels there are. The Bible says it's an innumerable amount of angels, and I know that it must be a huge, vast amount. And so I'm assuming that one third of the heavenly angels on Lucifer's side has got to be a lot of angels. Somebody say amen. But did you know, you remember what Elisha the prophet told his servant there when they were encompassed there by the enemy? He said, God opened his eyes. He said, hope that he sees that they that are with us are more than they that are with them. And so you know what? I just do a little math here. I'm the math guy, the Bible math guy. And so you know what I see in this? I see that one third is still less than the other two thirds that God's got on his side. Amen. So it just sounds like to me that he's outnumbered already. I like that. But anyway, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to conquer the domain of heaven. Now, number three, he says, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. I want you to notice the verb sit here because he uses it. Well, he says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And then he says, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. When you sit, you sit in a seat and the, the most prominent seat that we see in the scriptures is the throne of God, the Ark of the Covenant, what we call the mercy seat. So I believe that he is trying to gain control of the very throne of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Now, for correct interpretation of what that means, we take our Bible, we turn over to Psalm chapter 48. And we see, we let scripture interpret scripture, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So we're going to pick out a little here, pick out a little there. And the Bible's going to tell us what it means when it says something. He said, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And in Psalm uh, chapter 48, verse 2, the Bible says, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion 
on the sides of the north. So the devil is saying here in Isaiah 14, when he says, I will sit in the mount of the congregation. And by the way, the word congregation is a church term. Whenever you see the congregation, it's referring to God's people. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. It's a title that implies the church. And there we see the connection between this mount of the congregation in the sides of the north and Mount Zion being in the sides of the north. Mount Zion is also a picture of the congregation of the Lord. So what is the devil trying to tell us here? What is it that God looked at in his heart and saw what was going on in there? The devil said, I must control The church. Do you believe that? I must control and dominate God's people. I must, in fact, if just kind of look at it as far as a a biblical historical level, God back in Genesis 12 and in, in following chapters, God promised Abraham this territory that we call Canaan land. He promised that that would be his forever and ever and ever. God then took Abraham out of that land and put him in a different place. And lo and behold, the devil's people just went in there and they took custody of Canaan land. And when Joshua went in fighting that battle, God made sure that Moses and the Israelites knew that he wasn't sending Israel in because they were so good and because they were all righteous, holy people. God said that he's sending them in there to run Canaan or the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Perizzites out of that land because they were trespassing on God's inheritance. And so what we see here is the devil's attempt. Now let me just ask you this. Do you think the devil has any business coming to church? He's not going to get saved, is he? Amen? The devil and all his devils, they're not going to get saved. They do not have the ability to be redeemed. And so what business do they have coming into our churches? What business does the devil have coming into our homes? What business does the devil have coming into our marriages and trying to ruin our children? We ought not let him in. Somebody say amen. We ought not let him in. He's trespassing on the inheritance that God has given his people. And I tell you what, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1, you'll see that's exactly what went on. Was That was the story of Goliath and the Philistines. And the Bible says that the Philistines put themselves, I can't remember what city it was or what place it was, but the Bible says which it said it belonged to Judah. So you know what that means? The Philistines were trespassing on Judah's ground. And let me tell you something, that when the devil starts trespassing in your church, when he starts coming into your marriage, when he starts trying to get into your home and get your children, hey, when he starts trying to come into our country, he's trespassing. I think the fight ought to be on. Hey, somebody say amen. I think the fight ought to be on. Well, we see here that he's trying to control and dominate the church. He must, now, the the interesting thing is, even though there's five things here that he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. The thing is, God says, you won't, you won't, you won't, you won't, you won't. Amen? Amen. Because I'm not on the losing side here. I'm on God's side. And I believe, see, I peeked at the back of the book. We win. Amen? God wins. He gets the victory. So everything that the devil said that he will... God says, oh, no, you won't. You know, and and you know what? He is trying to control and manipulate and dominate the church. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Somebody say amen. amen. But you know what? That's not stopping him from trying. 
That's not stopping him from, in many cases, succeeding. Can we not agree that the devil has gotten preachers, churches, ministries, denominations, and over and over and over, the devil is, he's making ground. I mean, he's making headway here. He's doing what he said that he was going to do. But just remember, God always has a remnant. Amen? He always has a remnant. So we understand now that the devil is trying to control the church. He's trying to get into the church and trespass. And he must dominate that thing on his, in his attempt to sit on God's throne and reign over that. And so that's primarily what I'm going to be dealing with tonight. I'm going to show you a few things on how he's doing it. But primarily, primarily, he's using one thing in particular And that thing was mentioned all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And I call this the Hegelian dialect, transforming the church. And I'm going to explain to you what that means here just in a moment. But I want you to look at the the verses there up on the screen and read along with me there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? In verse 16, he says, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now I want you to look, if we kind of look backward at these verses again, just kind of, kind of see in your mind what God's trying to say here. God's saying that, number one, we ought not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And what God is doing in these series of verses here is that he's, he's showing us that there are differences between this over here and this over here. And so he says, number one, what fellowship hath righteousness over here with unrighteousness? Is there anything that is, I mean, is there any fellowship between righteousness and unrighteousness? Absolutely not. And God said there is always a difference. There is always a difference between his way and the world's way. If you want to just a good Bible study, Go through the scriptures and mark down what is God's way and what is world's way. Did you know that we're so guilty a lot of times, and I'm just going to preach a little bit. You know, we're so guilty a lot of times of, of in our marriages, there is God's way and then there's the world's way. And we end up following just about everything that the world tells us to do in our marriage, whether we're going to stay married or get split up or anything like that. And yet I think we need to be looking at God's way. Amen. Raising children, there's God's way, there's the world's way. How to, have, how to conduct church services, there's God's way, there's the world's way. How to live, how to deal with your boss at work. How to be a boss at work, there's God's way, and then there's the world's way. And they don't communicate, they don't fellowship. What communion hath light with darkness? Does light and darkness ever communicate? Do they ever commune? Do they ever get along? No, you see, in God's world, it's either one way or the other way. Somebody say Amen. It's either one way or the other way. He said, Christ with Belial. Is there any, was there ever, watch this. Was there ever an agreement between Jesus and the devil? Now stop and think about this. 
What was the devil trying to do when Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness? What was the devil trying to do there? He was trying to get him to agree with him. He said, see all these cities, all these kingdoms? I'll give them to you if you'll worship me. He was trying to get Jesus to agree to his terms. And it says here that there is no agreement, no concord, no contract between Jesus and the devil. In fact, let me kind of put it this way. If I were to use this term, if I, if I say Jesus Christ, do you have that? that's a good name. Somebody say amen. It's in the Bible. What if I said Jesus Lucifer? How does that sound to you? No, no, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? Because you can't mix one with the other. Let me give you another illustration. I want to show you how God sees this thing. If I had, uh, let's see, I have a glass of water here. If this glass of water here was absolutely nothing but H2O, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, no chemicals, no additives, no minerals, no anything, it was absolutely 100% pure water. How many of you would like a drink of this? Say, man, it's good stuff. It'll do you some good. All right, now, let's say that I had a glass over here and I went out here after a, a, a spring rain and I scooped up some old sludge, dirt, mud water and I had it in this glass here. Now, how many of you would like to drink out of this glass? And the answer is no, I don't want anything to do with it, okay? And isn't that interesting that God has made righteousness clean and he's made sin dirty, amen? I mean, God made it that way. And by the way, sin stinks too, doesn't it, amen? All right, now watch this, okay? If I were to take a drop of this perfectly clean water and put it over here into this unclean water, have I purified the dirty water? No. However, if I take a drop of this dirty water and put it into this clean water, what have I done? I have contaminated the clean water. So you know what? God, God's right in what he says. He says, you don't mix. You don't mix the devil with Jesus you don't mix righteousness with unrighteousness. You don't mix uh, uh, the temple of God with the temple of idols. They don't mix. There is to never be a proper mixture of the two. Does everybody understand that concept so far? Now watch this. God said in Jeremiah chapter 51, he said, flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. You know why? Because Babylon represents the wicked world system. And God says, I don't want my people in Babylon. So he says, get out. We don't mix, right? You're not going to Babylon to purify Babylon. You're in Babylon and Babylon is corrupting you. Somebody say amen. amen. So there, so God says, come out of Babylon. Deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. Babylon hath been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. Now I want you to get this picture. I want you to see what God's saying here. God is saying, he says that Babylon is a golden cup in the Lord's hand. And so I want you to understand what the Bible means by this. The Bible means by this that God is using Babylon. God is using false prophets God is using the wickedness of the world. God is using the devil, by the way. God is using um, all, all of the evil, terrible things, the Babylonian church and all this stuff. God is using that stuff to separate who's his and who is not. Why did he allow Satan to go into the garden? 
Because God gave man something that he didn't give any of the other creation. He gave man choice. I believe in choice, don't you? I believe that's what separates us from all the... And so God didn't take the tree of knowledge of good and evil and hide it away on some mountain somewhere that was almost impossible to get to. God put it right in the middle of the garden and the tree of life on one side and the tree of literally death on the other. And all over the scriptures, God gives us a choice and he says, choose life. Amen, choose life. So he told Adam and Eve, choose. And then God sent a tempter in to determine what was in the hearts of people and so babylon is that golden cup in the lord's hand and what that means is is that god one of these days is going to allow babylon if you look in revelation 17 there it is revelation there it is god is going to allow babylon to pour her cup of fornication and drunkenness out on this earth as a form of judgment and in that god is saying okay if you really don't want to believe what I say, then I'm not going to give you what I say. I'm going to give you a false thing in its place. Second Thessalonians 2.11, God says, for God shall send them strong delusion. That's Babylon with that, that wine of drunkenness in her hand. And by the way, drunken wine and strong drink in the Bible are the equivalent of false doctrines. Notice what Leviticus says. Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. I'm going to interrupt right there, but I encourage you to get this offer. Probably the most important thing to make certain that we do not fall away and take the mark of the beast is the fact that we know our God and we know his word. And if we're off reading the wrong version that has been corrupted, how can we stand? Brothers and sisters, we've got to stand. And that is why it's important to have the King James Version and have enough information to where you can convince others to turn away from things that are corrupted. That's the reason I recommend you get the King James gift offer. It's four titles, six discs, valued at $130 for a gift of just $35. That's right. Four titles, six discs, valued at $130 for a gift of $35 at prophecyclub.com. The King James gift offer, $35 at prophecyclub.com. Make certain you can give an answer when someone comes asking you questions about what Bible you read. October 4, 5, and 6, it's the Understanding End Times Conference, Living Word Fellowship, Evansville, Indiana. Friday evening, 6.30, I'll speak on my seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials chart. Saturday morning, 10 a.m., I'll speak on my Feast and Revelation Prophecies chart. Saturday evening, 5 p.m., Leslie will speak on the Kundalini Spirit. Sunday morning at 10 a.m., I'll take half the time with Miss the Mark, my new book, and Leslie will take the rest of it. As you know, I'm called to build an end-time army of prophecy teachers working miracles. I want you to come so I can lay hands on you and anoint you for you to receive two anointings. The spirit of revelation as I received it when I memorized the book of Revelation. Two, to work in sevenfold miracles when the judgment arrives. The room only holds 350 people, and the church is probably going to take from 100 to 150 of them, so it will fill quickly. I suggest you do the $25 registration quickly at endtimesconference.com. $25 registration at endtimesconference.com, October 4, 5, and 6, Understanding End Times Conference, Living Word Fellowship, Evansville, Indiana. See you there! In 2017, I memorized the book of Revelation. 
God showed me a single word, first fruits, is a secret door found in Revelation and Leviticus. When linked together, the end time events can be placed in chronological order. For the first time, we can know what feast Jesus returns on, the feast for the judgment seat of Christ on the great white throne, and the feast upon which the wheat is resurrected, and on the day the new Jerusalem comes down to earth. And even though I've been in Bible prophecy for 40 years, I freely admit to you that I knew nothing that is revealed in this book supernaturally. So you probably know nothing that is in this book. One prophetic word said, There is a lock that I have put over a word in the book of Revelation that I'm going to open unto you. It will turn many books written on the end time message into obsolete books. That's this book. Don't get one for $20. Instead, get five for 30 or 10 for 55 Or a new case price, 60 books for $250. That's 60 books in a case for $250. The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy at prophecyclub.com. You can now watch 160 Prophecy Club recordings and soon over 300 without interruption. Most people would agree 300 titles, normally $30 each, a gift of $100 a month would be reasonable, $50 a pretty good deal, but the introductory rate for a limited time is just $20 recurring monthly subscription. A one-year subscription is a gift of $200. There's no contract. You can cancel any time you want to, and you get the first three days free just to check it out. The best deal is a yearly subscription that will lock in your rate for a year even when we raise the rates. WatchProphecyClub.com. Go check it out. WatchProphecyClub.com. 